0: Hey, have you got bare walls at home or in your office? Do you want to surround yourself with the majesty and inspiration of our mountains? I'm talking truly incredible photography of western North Carolina landscapes. RedRockPhotoNC.com. Stay tuned for details. It's the Pete Calliner Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Calliner is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What's going on? Welcome to the show. Happy July, everybody. I know, we're more than halfway through 2020. It seems like it's been a decade already. But welcome to the show. It's July 1st, 2020. What's going on? Thanks for listening. The show is made possible by folks like Animorpher and John and Robbie. And let's see here. to, To Chris and Kim steven and mark and dennis and green and nick i appreciate all of the support thanks so much also by the way you know what um the new month means the new month means a new deal at mattress man it sure does a free adjustable base how about that a free adjustable base with select purchases um a 10 inch gel memory foam mattress special 399 for the queen set the adjustable base, head and feet adjustment, wireless remote, zero gravity, anti snore. This is a fantastic deal. Okay, so get on over to their website, mattressmanstores.com. If you've been putting it off, or maybe you've been wondering, what should I do with my Donald Trump dollars, my Trump check? What should I do with it? You should buy a new bed because you deserve it. Okay, getting a good night's sleep is key to optimal health sleep deficiency can lead to all sorts of physical problems mental health problems injuries loss of productivity i mean like when i don't get a good night's sleep uh i'm only doing like a half hour podcast it just, that's just it's all i can muster you know but as you can tell i haven't done one of those in a really long time because i sleep on a mattress man bed sleep deficiency also increases the risk of obesity because you feel hungrier than when you are well-rested, okay? So get on over to Mattress Man, either one of their four locations in Asheville, Arden, or Hendersonville, or online, all their inventory is online at mattressmanstores.com. They have all of the different mattresses, and their sleep consultants will help you pick the right one for you. And they have five-star delivery service. They do ship nationwide and a 120-day comfort guarantee. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Find the store nearest you at mattressmanstores.com. Buy local and sleep better. So this is one of the funniest stories uh, that I've encountered in in a while in the North Carolina political uh, realm. This is it's about the Black Lives Matter protesters who... Don't really know what they should be protesting now that we're, you know, what, a month into the protests. At the beginning, there was a lot of people. There was a lot of anger. It seemed pretty obvious. But now, not so much so. Not so much so. Um, And so they're trying to kind of figure out which way to go on some of this stuff. And they latched on to Senate Bill 168. North Carolina Senate Bill 168. I know, right? It was really obvious, wasn't it? <laughs> so <laughs> there's about <laughs> there were about uh 30 to 40 of these folks who showed up outside of the governor's mansion. Roy Cooper, Democrat. They were outside of his mansion, the governor's mansion the other night. Uh dozens of them gathered outside the uh the residence of the governor asking Roy Cooper Isn't that interesting? I lo- I, I always I always love to play the game, what if it were a a Republican? If it were a Republican that were in that governor's mansion, do you think that the people protesting outside of the governor's mansion would be simply asking Governor Cooper to veto a bill? Do you think they would just be asking? Or do you think they might be demanding? They might be calling for him to, yeah, veto the bill. They say this bill sets back the Black Lives Matter movement. The group arrived before 2 a.m. the other night, and they called the governor silent and asked Cooper, there it is again, by the way, I am reading from WRAL, they then asked Cooper to do more to address racial injustice, to do more than just tweet about it. So it does make you wonder um, whose, whose decision is to use the word ask, because it sounds like if they're... I don't know saying that the governor shouldn't be silent and he should do more than just tweet about it I think that kind of rises to the level of demand don't you think calling out the governor for only tweeting about it not doing stuff about it this is the this is what I talk about when I talk about media bias this is what I mean the the choice of words and and these are words smiths now granted maybe a lot of them are not very good I don't know okay but I'm going to assume that you chose words specifically to convey a meaning. And when you choose the word over and over again, you choose the word asking Governor Cooper rather than demanding that the governor do something or calling out the governor, urging the governor, noting his hypocrisy or something like that. Right. No, no. In each case, it's just asking. Organizers of the demonstration told WRAL they want Cooper to veto Senate Bill 168, which passed on Friday. With, uh, and this bill references deaths that occur in law enforcement, custody, prison, or jail. It mandates death investigation records to remain confidential when they reach the medical examiner instead of remaining available to the public. Even the rapper Ice Cube. Ice Cube, which he's from, right, Ice Cube is the one from Friday, and Ice T is the one who rapped about killing cops and then played a cop on a TV show for like 30 years, right? I think that's right. Um, So even the rapper Ice Cube tweeted his position against this bill saying, quote, Governor Cooper, do not sign this into law. Don't give more cover for killer cops. W.R.A.L. reached out to the governor's office for a statement. (laughs) What do you think he's going to say? Oh, my gosh. What's the governor's position on this bill that the Republican-controlled General Assembly passed? Trying to protect killer cops. What do you think the governor's position on this bill would be? Well, it's kind of tough to read between the lines here. But, um, considering it was his administration that actually asked for the law to be passed <laughs> and, <laughs> and gave gave the general Assembly, right, their proposal for this law, I'm thinking he was for it. I'm just I'm just spitballing here. I know I might be out on a bit of a limb, but I'm thinking he's for it, considering it was his idea or at least his administration's idea. So now how would, okay, back up. How would these Black Lives Matter protesters be aware of this Senate Bill 168? How did they become aware of it? Well, as I often say, elections are about what media make them. Um, and a lot of times I well, I don't have any patience for media people who pretend that they're not actors in the theater, in the play that is our political theater, right? Like, if you're pretending that you are not a participant in the arena of politics while you are a reporter on politics, then it tells me you're either being dishonest or you're naive, okay? Media advances issues, media shuts down certain narratives, it amplifies others, and that's why for example, the Republicans pounce, uh, Narrative, Right. That when a scandal occurs and the scandal is about a Democrat, then the story is the Republican response to the scandal. Republicans better not overreach on this. Republicans risk overreaching. Republicans pounced on the Democrat scandal. Right. But when the scandal involves a Republican, then the story is the scandal. And then it's all just about the scandal. There are there's no Democrat pouncing Democrats seizing on. There's none of this. None of that stuff happening. Right. So media is an active participant in the play. And here is the here's another example of it. One sixty-eight a Senate Bill 168 came to the attention of Black Lives Matter because of a series of reports done by a couple of news organizations. They've been partnering up. This is one between Kate Martin of the Carolina Public Press, Lucille Sherman and Jordan Schrader of the News and Observer, along with Nick Oxner of WBTV. So these this has been um, going on since I became aware of it with the covid pandemic and they started pooling their resources and and joining each other and doing some uh, joint reporting. Okay. Which I'm in favor of, by the way, I have no problem with news organizations uh, working with one another uh, in order to get sort of a more total view of a complex issue from different areas of the state. Totally fine with it. Um, So here is what uh, the story, this is published by Nick Oxner at his outlet, WBTV, out of Charlotte. While North Carolinians were sleeping early Friday morning, the General Assembly swiftly passed a bill that would shield death investigation records from the public. State officials say that the provision merely clarifies current public records law, and it makes it easier for the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner to get law enforcement investigation records. All right, so that's, this was the supposed impetus for this okay that you got law enforcement they're doing a death investigation the medical examiner needs some of these records and law enforcement won't give it to the medical examiner's office because once they do it becomes public record and the law enforcement agency is not interested for whatever reason in making it public for good or bad reasons by the way i could see that being the case all right So Nick Oxner reports that this could have much wider implications, though. Senate Bill 168, which was requested by the Department of... No, 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 not Public Safety. You're probably thinking Public Safety. No, it wasn't actually requested by the Department of Public Safety. No, Senate Bill 168 was requested by... The Department of Health and Human Services. Yeah, and it includes technical revisions to DHHS-related laws. This bill passed the House and the Senate nearly unanimously with little to no discussion. It now awaits the governor's signature. Governor Cooper's press office did not respond to an inquiry on Friday on whether he would sign the bill. By the way, he still has not responded. His office still hasn't said whether they are going to sign this bill into law. <laughs> Gosh, what do you think he might think about the situation? What do you think he might do? He wanted it. His administration wanted these changes. The General Assembly did him a solid and passed it. Democrats joined all the Republicans. They all passed it, sailed right through. Now, all of a sudden, a news report comes out and Black Lives Matter pounces, seizes on the report. And now, oh gosh, Governor Cooper is stuck, right? He's in a spot, isn't he? The move, which was intended to shield death investigations by law enforcement from becoming public record, comes one month after... The death of George Floyd uh, in Minneapolis under North Carolina state law deaths that occur in law enforcement custody, prison or jail. Right. These are among the natural or unexpected deaths that have to be reported to a county medical examiner. Right. That's. State law, you got to report all unexpected, unnatural deaths to the M.E. in each county. And so if you have a death that occurs in law enforcement custody, in a prison, in a jail, whatever, that's got to get reported too. If the death is under the M.E. jurisdiction, then an investigation is launched. Any related records, including law enforcement investigations, then get passed over to the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner. When those investigative records, which are exempt from public records law, leave law enforcement hands and go over to the ME, now they became public. You see the issue? So SB 168, this proposal, would change that. The bill would mandate death investigation records remain confidential when they reach the medical examiner. So one of the questions that they're asking here is, like, what's the reasoning behind the bill? What's the problem that they're trying to solve with this? Matt Gross is quoted in this story at WBTV.com. Matt Gross is the Assistant Secretary for Government Affairs for DHHS. And Matt says, quote, I think a key piece of this is... It's really looking at situations where it's a record that already has a level of confidentiality when it's with another entity, and to my knowledge, law enforcement is is the only entity, right? So the idea here is that it was confidential when law enforcement uh, developed the the file, right? And now they're handing it over to the ME's office, and so what the idea is that you keep that, whatever that level of confidentiality was at that originating agency— That then carries over to the medical examiner's office. State officials say that the language, which was originally included in a bill in 2019, it was not meant to shroud death records. It was merely meant to clarify that confidential records remain so. (laughs) Uh, But no, North Carolina Chief Medical Examiner Michelle Aurelius said that the provision will help make law enforcement feel more comfortable giving her office information. Aurelius. Sorry, come on. How could I have a name like that and not make that pun? Okay. Uh, Aurelius says, quote, this isn't anything new. The protection isn't different. It isn't changed. It's a fail-safe protection that reassures our partners that once they provide us with information and records, that they continue to be protected when they're in our custody. But because of the current loophole, law enforcement officials have been more hesitant to share death records needed to determine cause of death with medical examiners. This has been a way that Nick Oxner, among other reporters, this has been a way that they have used the ME's office to get at um, information that otherwise is deemed confidential and inaccessible by media. See? So that's what this loophole has been used for. So this closes the loophole. Now do you think Governor Cooper's administration sought to do this because of the reporting of people like Nick Oxner? Nick Oxner is the one by the way who uh stuck his mic in Cooper's face before the pandemic uh asking about the uh a bunch of uh travel uh, trips that Cooper had taken, like did he go to New York? How did you get to New York? Who paid for the flight? You launched your campaign up there like So, yeah, Nick Oxner asked, (laughs) he asked the administration a series of questions. He's also done a lot of stuff um, on the prison situations when there were, uh, you know, uh, corrections officers that were murdered by inmates. Um, There have been he's done stories on the Department of Public Safety. Anyway, so he knows some of these loopholes to get at the information he's seeking. And so this shuts that loophole. Now, the state officials say that. Uh, the reluctance by law enforcement to share the re- their records with the ME, it slows down the process. All right. Now, Nick Oxner goes on to explain uh, he's got in this story at least two cases where state officials withheld information on cases that they probably should not have. And but for this, quote, loophole, the media and the public never would have found out about it. <laughs> OK, so they do this story. All right. So then you have the, the Black Lives Matter people. Now they show up at the governor's mansion demanding that, the, sorry, asking that the governor, please, sir, please veto this atrocious bill that the evil Republicans passed because they don't think Black Lives Matter like we do. Okay. Um, I know I was kind of slipping into different British accents there, depending on what part of the country you're from. I'm, I'm not sure why. It's, it's a gift. Um, all right, so in, um, so against this backdrop now, you've got, oh, and this was also, uh, I should, uh, and I don't have the tweets here, I'm not going to go through the play-by-play, but uh, this also, uh, this story also prompted uh, uh, an exchange over the weekend on Twitter uh, between Nick Oxner, uh, what started off as Nick Oxner, and Brent Woodcox. Brent Woodcox is a lawyer that works for the General Assembly, specifically State Senate Leader Phil Berger's office. He's a staff attorney. And Woodcox, uh, he's on Twitter a lot, and he pushes back on a lot of misinformation uh, that is reported because he has a unique insight, right? He's working as a lawyer for the Republican leadership. Anyway, uh, he then takes issue with some of the framing that Oxner is pushing forth uh, that that this is somehow you know changing all of the laws and everything, and he's saying it's not doing that. It's clarifying that this isn't a piece of uh, uh, public information. It well it was confidential. It shall remain confidential. Um, and Oxner then uh, starts citing. I think it was called the Pool decision, which is a North Carolina State Supreme Court decision. He starts quoting this that like uh, as the rationale, and obviously Oxner knows what he's talking about because he has used this, this ruling to get information for stories he has done in the past. Okay. But Woodcox being the lawyer, then snaps at Oxner saying, Oh, well, wh- what law school did you go to? And this then prompts, <laughs> <laughs> because reporters have the thinnest skin of virtually any profession that I'm aware of. Um, this prompts the swarming of other reporters around this conversation. And uh, at one point, I think her name is Dawn, or sorry, no, this is Danielle Bataglia, I believe is her name. She then says, uh, you know, well, what, uh, uh, can, uh, or uh, Woodcocks, tell us what, what you mean by this. Is this true? Who requested this change? Because Woodcox had said this came at the request of. DHHS. If you have questions, you should ask the governor. And so Bataglia says, who, sh- you know, who-, who asked for this? Who-, who ordered the code red? And he's like, you should ask the governor. And she's like, well, I'm asking you because you said something publicly. And he said, oh, maybe you should respond with a, uh, with a gif. That'll make people respect you as a reporter. <laughs> Which then, oh my gosh, that then prompted Colin Campbell, a News and Observer uh, colleague of Battaglia's, to weigh in, saying something like, This person, Brent Woodcox, draws a six-figure salary. You shouldn't be such a jerk to reporters. And then Woodcox lays into Colin Campbell, like, I've had enough of you uh, uh, talking about how much money I make. I'm sorry if you don't feel like what you make is worth your skill set. Maybe you should go to law school and... um, uh, improve your life or something like that and then everyone's like oh my gosh i can't believe brent woodcock said that to a reporter And these are heroes they're like firefighters running into the burning building but without any of the personal threat or physical exertion but anyway then they're like how dare you attack brent Woodcock? how dare or uh, uh, uh colin campbell how dare you at- uh, attack him brent i mean he's a reporter and he's like, look, and he brings up another screenshot of some previous reference that Colin Campbell made about Brent Woodcock's salary. And he's like, you're no better just because you went to law school. He's like, I never said I was better. I'm just saying this guy keeps referencing my salary. It's obvious he's got a beef over how much I get paid. I'm not going to apologize for my salary. All right, so that's sort of the backdrop drama inside the, uh, the Raleigh Capitol Press Corps. They really are this petty. I mean, like when this is one of the things I think a lot of people don't fully appreciate, and maybe there's some hint of it in in sort of the characterization of uh, you know the the cocktail party circuit. But there is a level of personal pettiness involved on all beats as a reporter, because of course th- there would be, right? You're all human beings, and so if you're whether you're covering cops and courts, or I don't even know, do they? Do they have beats any longer in, in newsrooms? <laughs> so whether you're covering city and county government or you're covering the state government or crime or whatever, or even probably arts and entertainment, you know, there are all these little petty slights and grievances. And, oh, I I, I wouldn't talk to that reporter. Oh, my gosh. Did you hear about them? Right. So this gossip swirly stuff. And there are teams. Yeah, there are teams. And don't think all media is on the same team, by the way. They're not. They have different teams inside of their circle, too. It's very much like high school. (laughs) It's very much like high school. All right. So now you got top lawmakers in the General Assembly now say that they're going to revisit and correct the bill. Okay. Following reporting on the bill over the weekend by a multi-newsroom collaborative, House Majority Leader John Bell said a fix is in the works. The General Assembly acted in good faith to fulfill the request of the administration, and that's why it was included in the bill, he said. Uh, After further conversations and discussions about its unintended consequences, I'm confident this will be revisited and corrected once the legislature convenes. Democratic Governor Roy Cooper's press office said the governor would review the legislation, but did not say whether he would sign the bill. That he asked for... (laughs) that he asked for it's the big d shield right the big d shield nobody blames him for it it's assumed that he just had the best of intentions right he wasn't trying to hide public records no 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 no. he just it was just a closing of a loophole it was just you know a quick fix and man i can't believe that those republicans screwed it up so badly right <laughs> Have you ever seen a photo of the Blue Ridge Mountains so stunning that you couldn't look away? Well, that was me when I first saw Stacy Redmond's work at RedRockPhotoNC.com. Stacey is from Western North Carolina, shooting landscapes for two decades after he realized life is short. You don't get time back. So do what you love. Don't regret not spending time with family or chasing your dream. His work is brilliant, striking, and easily affordable for any space. See for yourself at RedRockPhotoNC.com. Use promo code Pete for 20% off. That's RedRockPhotoNC.com. Have you been trying to set up or improve your business's website? It can be overwhelming for any of us. I know it was for me. So let my friend Schaefer Smith at Schaefer Smith Design help you with logos, graphics, photos, and online stores, search engine optimization, website maintenance, and security. For professional services, corporate, small business, and entrepreneurs, Schaefer Smith Design. Make your site look professional and user-friendly for your customers and you so you can adapt quickly. SchaeferSmith.com. That's SchaeferSmith.com. The show is also made possible by Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. Current events have impacted us all in many different ways, and maybe you need to sell your house. But you're thinking, I don't want the traffic coming through my house right now. Well, Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, they've got investors ready to tour your home virtually and potentially make a cash offer, saving you the hassle and stress of buyers having to walk through your home. Start out with a video consult with Rowena Patton. She's the only agent I would call if I'm buying or selling a house. You should, too. Call her today. 333-4483 mountainhomehunt.com and start packing. The show is also made possible by Old Grouch's Military Surplus. Are you ready for disaster? Do you need some advice? Are you looking for military surplus that's real? For more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It's an old school, traditional store with a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim. He'll hook you up. He gets new stuff all the time. American made because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, dog tags, gear, Old Grouches on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti aircraft gun, and at oldgrouch.com. So, to recap, the governor's administration governor cooper's administration asks the general assembly run by republicans please pass a law uh that changes the confidentiality status of death investigations at the medical examiner's office to uh to remain at whatever the originating agency's confidentiality uh, confidentiality status was so if it's a death investigation of a suspect in law enforcement custody and it's confidential information when they hand it off to the medical examiner it would remain confidential uh This then got the attention of reporters because they were using a loophole to get information about investigations via the ME's office. Because up until this law, it was not um, uh, it it did not maintain the confidentiality status from the originating agency. So the reporters were using it, Nick Oxner being one of them. Uh, So uh, the DHHS then asks the General Assembly, change the law. General Assembly does so, nearly unanimous, I think there was one vote against it and it goes now to the governor's office but the reporters are aware of it they do a couple stories on it and now Black Lives Matter sees it as an attempt to shroud death investigations of unarmed black people in police custody so they go protest at the governor's mansion and the governor's office is like well we don't really have a statement we're reviewing the legislation, we're not really sure, like they're pretending like they didn't ask for this thing when they did And of course, they get the benefit of the doubt. They get the benefit of the doubt because that's the beauty of the big D shield. You get to hold that D shield up in front of any kind of uh, assumption of motive, any kind of attack, any kind of characterization of pouncing or seizing. Right. So uh, then you can so you got the kids out there. They're protesting. And so now you got the General Assembly, uh, the Republicans seizing on the moment shall we say they're like hey you know what we're going to go back and take a look at this and uh yeah we'll fix this john bell uh is the house my house majority leader he's a republican from wayne county he says that the general assembly acted in good faith to fulfill the request from the governor's office right um two democratic lawmakers who voted for the bill representative deb butler i will not yield Mr. speaker remember her Deb Butler, and Jeff Jackson, state senator from Mecklenburg, uh, they have since expressed opposition to the secrecy provision. (laughs) So they voted for it, and they're like, wait, 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 wait. Wait, I object to that? I know I voted for it, but I totally object to this thing that I voted for. Um, Apparently, they didn't read it or didn't understand it, which is weird because Jackson is a lawyer. Anyway, good governance Is impossible at 3 a.m., Deb Butler said. (laughs) Good governance is impossible at 3 a.m. That is a heck of a standard, isn't it? I disagree. I disagree with that. I do. I'm not saying it's automatically better or worse. I just don't think you shouldn't be making sort of blanket statements about whether or not you can do your job based on the time of day. Anyway, she says the speaker knows that and does it intentionally. New provisions back and forth all night long. It's a terrible way to do the people's business. If this language slipped under the radar, I hope the governor vetoes it. We need more transparency, not less. Again, they requested it, Deb. They asked for this. Uh, Yeah, okay. So, then there's this. WBTV, um, in an unnatural or unexpected death, if it's deemed to be under medical examiner jurisdiction, related records are then passed to the office of the chief medical examiner. Such records include death investigations by law enforcement. When those investigative records, which are exempt from public records law, leave law enforcement hands, they become public Senate Bill 168 would change that, mandating death investigation records remain confidential when they reach the M.E. So the Black Lives Matter people hear that and they're like, they're trying to uh, seal these records and prevent us from seeing it because they're trying to kill uh, black people. Right. So they go out and protest. So the first first, uh, night they went like after two in the morning and they went out and camped in front of Governor Roy Cooper's mansion in raleigh and then (laughs) they came back (laughs) this would have been on uh tuesday and they some of them got arrested (laughs) police arrested four protesters after they spray painted veto sb 168 on a street tuesday afternoon according to the raleigh police department's twitter account protesters said the paint on blunt street where the north carolina executive mansion sits can be removed with water <laughs> they said, well, i don't know does that make it any less vandalism uh, any less of a vandalism charge right if, if it washes away that's sort of like chalking right <laughs> which apparently it was it was chalk paint <laughs> So about a dozen people camped outside the governor's mansion to protest a new bill that further limits public access to death investigation records, mostly college aged. They arrived Monday night with tents told to pack up the tents. They then moved to chairs on the sidewalk. Okay. (laughs) So they show up with tents. They're like, get rid of your tents. They're Like, all right, fine. We'll get rid of our tents. And then they like busted out a bunch of camp chairs and threw them all around the sidewalk. So Capitol police, Uh, And then Raleigh police came along and told them, hey, you got to move off the sidewalk. You can't be blocking the sidewalks, you know, because for ADA compliance reasons, like somebody comes down the sidewalk and they're in a wheelchair, they can't get past you. Like this has always been the rule, like on sidewalks, you're blocking the the pedestrian access. You can't do that. So you got to keep moving, right? This is why the picket lines always would walk around, right? Because if you stopped, then you could be arrested. Early Tuesday, officers handed them copies, handed the protesters copies of City Ordinance 12-1022, which pertains to sidewalks being used for private purposes and when permits are required. One of the protesters, Tari Coleman, uh, was apparently one of those arrested for spraying chalk paint and that officers dragged her out of her car into custody. I need some more details here. How did she get into her car? How did like she went and spray painted it and then ran to her car to try to make a getaway or (laughs) or what was this later on? They were like, yeah, we saw her paint it. So they went later to get her. I don't know. Several of them uh, of the protesters then followed uh, the cops when they got when they took her into custody. They then followed to the jail and demonstrated outside the jail. The protesters Uh, Then wrote their lawyers phone numbers on their arms with Sharpie markers. They joined hands and sang country roads and wagon wheel. (laughs) Wait a minute. Why? (laughs) Country roads? Right? Take me home to the place I was born. West Virginia? I'm... I mean Wagon Wheel, I kinda get because it's about North Carolina, right? But almost heaven, West Virginia, Country Roads, what are you doing? <laughs> this is your these are your protest songs now. <laughs> By the way, as a fan, uh I'm you don't get those songs. Sorry. They don't become anthems of Antifa or Black Lives Matter. Which that's another thing. <laughs> Black Lives Matter <laughs> singing John Denver and Old Crow Medicine Show. <laughs> or well, okay, to be fair, they may be doing the Darius Rucker version, that's true. Although it was written by Bob Dylan and finished uh I think Old Crow Medicine Show did the last verse or something. They finished it up. Uh, it was an unfinished piece by Bob Dylan. Anyway, the protesters wrote their lawyers' phone numbers on their arms. They joined hands and sung country roads and wagon wheel, and uh, they closed their eyes for a non-sectarian prayer, of course, (laughs) (laughs) a non-sectarian prayer. This is like a South Park episode or a Simpsons episode. This is a this is like parody of itself. (laughs) So, okay, they closed their eyes for a non-sectarian prayer as police approached. Quote, here's a quote from their non sectarian prayer. Quote, as the dark forces converge, why well, has it got to be dark forces? What's up with that? I mean, as the dark forces converge, we ask that you share your light with them as well. Who who shares who shares the light? I'm confused. This is a non sectarian prayer. <laughs> who are you talking to? Right? Well, I mean honestly. So this what you're saying is this is a deist prayer. So you do believe that there's some god, some omnipotent figurehead, some deity that does have some impact on our world. Is that the case here? Is that what you're saying? As the dark forces converge, we ask that you share your light with them as well. <laughs> it sounds kind of Christiany, don't you think? Just my it's just the way I hear it. Um at 9.20 a.m., police instructed all media and observers to move away from the protest, calling it a crime scene. <laughs> this is a crime scene because of the chalk painting. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. The protesters said, like, you can't tell me that if we are not locked down due to COVID that this happens like this. You can't tell me that. If everybody's at work and going about their daily lives like they were back in January and February, I don't think this happens. I think people got way too much time on their hands and a lot of them have been given Trump checks to sit around and do nothing. And so this is the only acceptable form of protest where they can go out and, uh, you know, yell and scream and dance while, you know, old people die alone in nursing homes, of course. But the young people get to go out and scream and dance and uh, and attack police and vandalize and do all sorts of stupid stuff because they got nothing else to do. Right. You can't tell me that this is the way it would have gone down had there not been three months of lockdowns first. So the cops shut down the area. They tell all the media to get away. It was now a crime scene. The protesters sat in a line in the sidewalk, arms out and palms up, silently resisting. Police then retreated to a nearby parking lot and protesters began chanting through a bullhorn, veto SB 168, which is a very catchy chant as far as protest chants go hey look i give them credit they're not doing the uh you know hey hey ho ho 168 has got to go because that's i mean that was an easy one to do i mean i just made that up right now so i do give them credit veto sb 168 veto sb 168 <laughs> it's kind of catchy <laughs> okay okay <laughs> Uh yeah. As the number of coronavirus cases across North Carolina continues to increase, hitting long-term care facilities especially hard, state health officials announced Tuesday that all nursing home residents and employees will be tested finally look at that they're finally ordering i mean it's not going to happen right now but they got a plan everybody it's going to happen at some point the state now recommends nursing homes with one or more cases test all residents and employees but the latest initiative for universal testing takes it one step further reports the charlotte observer this is quote a delayed response to criticism that the state's most vulnerable residents have not been tested soon enough Again, with the passive voice, the D shield in full effect here. A delayed response. It's just a delayed response to criticism, right? That's all. It's a delayed response to the criticism, not to the freaking virus killing old people, right? No, no, no. That's not what it's a delayed response to. It's a delayed response to criticism. (laughs) Yeah, unbelievable. Um, So Cohen starts off, Mandy Cohen, the Health and Human Services Secretary, she starts off with uh, what sounds like a bit of PR damage control. Take a listen here.
1: Since the start of the pandemic, we have worked hard to protect those at high risk of serious complications from COVID-19. Totally. Older North Carolinians have been hard hit by this virus and residents of long-term care facilities are particularly vulnerable. Early on, We formed a long-term care team for COVID-19 response dedicated to working with facilities, local health departments, industry associations, advocacy groups, hospitals, and others on a multi-pronged strategy of prevention, capacity, testing, and managing outbreaks and oversight. Given the risks, The governor took aggressive preventive measures Mm. beginning back in March. Of course he did. With restricting visitation and communal activities and requiring employees to be screened and monitoring of residents. We also paid for and delivered to all of our state licensed long term care facilities a 14 day supply of personal protective equipment to support facilities as they built up their own PPE supply networks.
0: Remember, she's talking about things that occurred in March in March. It's now July.
1: And we've provided temporary rate increases to help them meet the enhanced COVID-19 infection protocols. We've also helped facilities address staffing shortages by providing temporary workers from the state and provided ongoing training and assistance on infection prevention and control measures. In our oversight role, the Department of Health and Human Services is surveying all nursing homes on infection control testing is also a key part of our strategy. Currently, all residents and staff are tested when there is one case of COVID in a long-term care setting. We also have begun proactive testing of all staff and residents in nursing homes. We have completed this proactive testing in all state-run skilled nursing facilities, and beginning next week, DHHS, health and human services will pay for and deploy proactive testing of staff and residents in all private nursing homes.
0: So it only took, what, seven weeks since the vice president of the United States told the governor's office, among other governors, you need to be doing preemptive testing in all nursing homes. It only took seven weeks. But she's announcing it as if, look at us, we're doing this, we're awesome. DHHS, she says, is partnering with CVS Omnicare for one-time COVID testing of all staff and residents in nursing homes across the state.
1: This effort will extend through the middle of August and reach an estimated 36,000 residents and 25,000 staff in over 400 nursing homes in the state. This testing will provide another tool to further protect those who are at higher risk.
0: Uh, By the way, this is not going to... uh, get underway until uh well now this month it's uh, so she made this announcement in june so june 30th uh this is going to be in the future july into august is when they're thinking it's amazing though that now they came up with the money for it right because in the news and observer article a couple of days ago uh where they talked about uh you know how this response was not adequate uh Cost was one of the concerns cited by DHHS, but apparently they found the money now after they got some media attention on the problem. I've only been screaming about it for two months. Cohen then pivoted to a call for more federal help.
1: While we continue to expand testing, it is important to note that commercial and hospital labs across the country, including here in North Carolina, are again running into shortages of important chemicals called reagents that are needed to process tests. As a result, labs are seeing backups in processing samples and are taking longer to provide results. Federal action is needed to help address these supply issues. The the department's work (laughs) is only part of the equation. Everyone needs to play their part to protect their health and the health of our loved ones and our neighbors, including those older North Carolinians, by wearing a face covering. Face coverings are effective when everyone wears them, which is why we took the important step of requiring them in public spaces.
0: Okay, so a couple things. First off, she's now trying to, hey, look at the federal government. They need to do more for us, which is interesting because the nursing homes, that's what they say about the state. The nursing home leaders, remember the interview I did the other day with Dr. Greg Murphy, congressman from North Carolina's 3rd District? He says he's talked to these nursing home managers. Uh, the News and Observer says the same thing, that a lot of these facilities are afraid to cross DHHS by saying what they need publicly. So they, they use back channels to try to get the message out. And this is the this is the result, by the way is Cohen saying, we're doing a lot of stuff. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, we're totally doing testing right now. Like, we're ramping it up right now. Totally happening. Oh, and by the way, the feds stink. They need to be giving us more help. And by the way, on the face mask thing, yesterday uh, at this press conference, you can see before the uh, press conference begins, you can see Cohen off to the side as she comes from the hallway and she thinks she's off camera. She's not. She's not. She comes in. She's not wearing a face mask. She's not wearing it. She comes in. And, and look, I'm not, I'm not trying to shame her or anything for this. But she comes in. And as she comes up towards the table where she thinks like the cameras are trained on the table for the press conference, you can see as she walks up, she puts the mask over her face, not looping it around her ears, but to give the impression that she's taking it off as she sits down. Which... Why would you even do that except to deceive, right? You're not wearing the mask. Just walk up and sit down. Just do the press conference. Nobody's I, like I don't think anybody would attack her for it. But the fact that you're not wearing the mask, you have it in your hand, you're not wearing it, you come in and you pretend to put it up as if you're taking it off like you've been wearing it all this time, when you haven't. It's just deceptive. Anyway. And no, it's not being nitpicky either. It's deception. And if you're willing to do that, okay. She was asked then, um, oh, sorry. No, she goes on to note uh, that um, young people are, uh, especially now being hard hit, they are not symptomatic. So wearing a face mask can help limit the spread, she says.
1: You may have the virus right now and not know it. When you wear a face covering, you protect others around you. That could be someone who works in a nursing home who also happens to shop at your local grocery store or eats at your favorite restaurant. By protecting them, they are less likely to catch the virus and risk spreading it to those they care for in nursing homes.
0: See, she's still connecting the nursing home spread with the community spread, right? She's still trying to get us all to think in, the, in these terms. I would submit it's a way to distract us from the fact that the nursing homes were not secured by government policy as part of the initial response.
1: This is so important because we know that once the virus finds its way into a nursing home, it can spread rapidly with devastating consequences for residents.
0: Yes, we are aware.
1: Additionally, as you think ahead to this July 4th weekend, make sure you are planning for ways to celebrate that involve wearing a face covering avoiding large crowds, and washing your hands often. We need to keep this virus from spreading further. States like Arizona, Texas, Florida, and others are cautionary tales that show us this virus can surge and surge quickly. Our measured approach here in North Carolina is, help, is helping to protect all North Carolinians. We don't wanna go backwards. And we won't need to if we work together on the three W's: Ugh. wear, wait, and wash.
0: Yes. She was asked um, about what's been causing. By the way, the thing that annoys me the most about that uh, th- that connection of the nursing home to community spread uh, that she keeps doing. Um, it's essentially blaming us for infecting staffers who then infect patients. That's what th- that's the whole point there is that, you know, you people aren't wearing your masks. You're not social distancing. You're not washing your hands. You're getting these staffers sick, these poor staffers. And then they're going into work and they're infecting people who are dying. Right. So it's like she. Yeah, That that's. She's not saying that, obviously, overtly, but that is what she's saying. She's making that connection, and she continues to make that connection, and it's insulting. Okay, Cohen was asked, what has been causing the community spread and the rising levels of infections? Listen to this.
1: I think there are a number of places in which we see uh, that viral spread. Um, mass gatherings, as you mentioned at the end, is one of those places that are at the highest risk of, of spreading the infection. Whoa, whoa, whoa,
0: whoa. Mass gatherings? Are one of those places at the highest risk of spreading the infection? This kind of warning was nowhere to be heard or found from Cohen or Governor Cooper during the most massive of the mass gatherings during the pandemic. The protests. Right? Where was this kind of warning? During the mass demonstrations, when you could have been telling people, whoa, 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 hey, everybody, you're about to undo three months worth of containment. Everybody's been locked down for three months. And what you're doing right now is going to create a surge in new cases. Oh, no, but North Carolina doesn't have a surge. We, we, we see surges in those other states, those Republican-led states. We're seeing surges there. But see, we just have an increase. Ours is simply an increase. Ha- we haven't had a decline. Ours <laughs> is just on a slow, a slow incline. And that's much better than a surge, you see.
1: There are also some high risk. Um occupations that we know are, are sources of spread of the infection, uh, some in the meatpacking industry, our agricultural sector, so some of our, our farming communities, manufacturing, construction. Um, those are some of the places and we're seeing workplace spread of, of this virus, but it starts in those workplaces, but also then gets into the communities that those folks live in. Um, we, Wait,
0: I'm curious, why do you... Why do you think she keeps mentioning this? Like, does anybody believe that COVID-19 just pops up in a meat processing plant? Like, it just spawns there (laughs) without any kind of person bringing it in? Of course, everybody understands how the virus spreads person to person. It's person to person. Someone has to bring it inside which is the whole point of testing everybody on the outside first.
1: We are also seeing spread, obviously, in our some of our long-term care facilities. We post that every uh, on, on our website of where those uh, th- that spread is, which is why we're focused on protecting folks in our long-term care settings and why we're doing additional testing uh, that we're announcing today.
0: Right. See, that's why they're all on top of it. Over the last two weeks, the majority of new cases is among younger people, ages 18 to 14 49, I wonder why.
1: We think that's likely a combination of folks um, who need to go out to work um, and are in ex- exposed settings, but also that, you know, when you're younger, you feel more invincible um, and you don't think, well, if I get it, I get it and it's not going to harm anyone. But that's actually the wrong way of looking at this. Mm. When we see more spread in our, our, our younger folks who may not get quite as sick, they are still risks to those that would get more sick. They may have lunch with their, their older parent or grandparent, a friend, a church member. Um, they may just be going to the grocery store where someone is, as I was mentioning in my opening remarks, they may just go to the grocery store where someone who works in a long-term, uh, long-term care setting also goes. And that is an opportunity for virus to spread. Um, and so we are trying to help everyone understand it's not just about your own personal risk. It's about what is the risk to our community members as a whole. And what we know in North Carolina is unfortunately, more than half of us, 51% are either over the age of 65 or have a chronic disease that puts us at higher risk of severe illness from COVID-19. So while you may say, eh, if I get it, I'm not likely to get too sick. The issue is though, you may give it to others. Um, And that's why we all have to work together here
0: uh, nowhere during the protests did she say this. In no way. She she actually began her press conference after the protests began by talking about Black Lives Matter and equity. That none, of this, none of this kind of scolding occurred during the demonstrations. All right, that's a wrap for this episode. Please remember, subscribe to the podcast and uh, think about becoming a patron of the program. You get cool stuff and exclusive content. The links are at vpcalendarshow.com and in the description of the podcast. Thanks so much for your support. Talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.